Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for uh, just better understanding. We ask for ears that hear. We ask for like hearts that want to understand. We pray for those who maybe have never heard. We pray that by your Spirit's power, your regenerating mercy towards us, we pray you would open them their eyes to see. For those who have seen the gospel, who've loved it, we pray that we would grow even more in that regard. In Christ's name, amen. And so Anna will be saying something, and she'll say, what did I say? And I'll be able to repeat like several sentences just because somehow I'm able to file those away even though I wasn't really listening. Uh, I think one or two of my kids have the same ability to listen and not listen. And um, this morning as we're studying, there's a lot about hearing, like really listening to what is being said. And sometimes if you're honest, you know, it is easy to um, not really receive what is being said and taught in the Scripture. And so I think for us, we have to really stop and consider uh, where we are because we want to hear. We want to know what He says. We want to listen to what He has said to us. You know, when we think about parables, one side of it is they were a judgment to those who were hearing but not really listening. But for those who had been given ears, that's what we kind of see in Matthew and in Mark. Those who have received the message by God's grace and for His glory have heard it. They, they are going to get greater understanding. And so it's, it, it functions in two ways, both as a judgment and a blessing. And so I think it's important to say that. Now, the other thing is, is just to say to ourselves, like, we are studying about the kingdom and trying to get it, but here's the thing. The kingdom cannot be defined with a simple sentence. You can't go to Webster's Dictionary and pull it out, write one sentence and say, there it is, the kingdom of God, you understand it. And so Jesus will say, it is like, and he will do that in multiple ways. And so just understand that. I think it's important to, to understand that. And so nobody comes away saying, if I understand anything about the kingdom, I get to take credit for it. And at the same time, we have to say, you should strive to understand the things of the kingdom. And both of those are true. Now, remember, we looked at the parable of the soils or the sower. I think sometimes it's highlighted in that way on the road. or I mean, I mean, it's a hardened kind of thing. And the seed goes out there and it kind of bounces off the road and the uh, birds come and eat it up. And then there's another soil that receives the, the truth of the gospel, you might say, with great joy. And as soon as the sun comes up, there's no root and it just kind of withers away. Kind of reminds you of the crowd who really excited about Jesus or thinking about him, uh, maybe even praising him as we did this morning, but yet there's not, then the, the, you know, things come and they're not standing for the long haul. The third soil, it comes up among the thorns and the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Chokes it out. So you really see three soils that you don't want to be, right? The fourth one is the good soil. And the good soil produces fruit. A fruit that remains some 30, 60, and 100 fold. It is a heart where repentance and faith have 
taken place. A heart empowered by God's Spirit. A heart transformed. A heart that it has been granted that they can see and understand. A regenerated heart. Where the Word comes and empowered by the Spirit awakens a sinner to the Gospel. And so we think about that and we think about that parable that focuses on the heart, the soil that the Word comes to. Today we're talking about listening. You have to learn to listen. And um, it's really, you kind of think in terms of like, uh, not just, you know, maybe the heart as we would say, but really about really receiving the message, which is certainly tied to the heart, but, but the, the message comes and then you see what it does. You're looking at it more from how does the, the seed work in people, kind of maybe you could say something like that. But anyway, the first parable is about your life being transformed in such a way that you're light. It's, it's about of God. Like, how does it take place? And it doesn't tell us everything, but the transforming work of, of, of the gospel in the heart of someone. And then the last one, maybe you could say the growth of it, the kingdom, where it goes out into the world and it impacts many people. So let's look at that first parable when we're thinking about um, the idea of the lamp that will provide light and that it must shine brightly. That's kind of the way you might think of it. So 421 and 22 says, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except that it might come to light. Now there's a lot of people that might talk about this in different ways and, and explain it in different ways and, and think about it maybe in different ways because there are things that you have questions about, especially with parables. Sometimes there's not this clear explanation of everything, and so you're kind of trying to think through what are we talking about. So I think the first thing to ask would be like, what is the lamp? What is the lamp that we're dealing with here? I mean, that, that would be kind of my question. And again, you could see this in multiple different ways. I have a tendency to think of it as the, a lamp as the um, people of God, I, 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 you know, transformed by the grace of God, with the Spirit of Christ at work in them. That, that's perhaps the lamp. You are the light of the world, Matthew 5 says. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Lamp, the idea of the lamp is the good works that, that, that flow from a transformed life. It's not saying that you go around touting that. Sometimes I do think that people, I don't know, that post a lot on social media showing their good works. Maybe that's not what we're talking about here. It's more of a, the light shines out, and you don't have to say it, and you don't have to like make a big deal of it or blow a trumpet before you do it or tell everybody all that you've done, but it's something that happens. So the seed is sown the heart prepared, and now it's bore fruit. The idea is that you want the light not only to transform your life, but you want it to shine brightly in the world. In John 15, 8, Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. 1 Peter 2 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Even if their whole time on this earth, they're saying bad things about you. When they stand before God in judgment, they will say, I saw those people and I saw their life. Philippians chapter 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. By the way, a crooked and twisted generation that is grumbling and disputing. When you're living in a mouthy generation, a people that think that their opinions matter, those kind of people that centralize like making a big statement about everything. You don't be like that in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation among you who shine as lights in the world. Not like the culture. Not living in that way. So I think the emphasis is on that. And the reality is, is where do good works come from? Romans 1 through 11 is like explains the wonderful, so amazed by that. Like Paul says, oh, the depths and the riches and the knowledge of God. They're unsearchable. And when he gets to chapter 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. This is worship. This is your spiritual worship. And so someone who has experienced the light of the glorious gospel in the heart, they will, like, what will naturally flow out of that is they will be a light. They will be a light out of gratitude. They will long to shine brighter out of gratitude because of the work that God has done. And so I think that you might say, if the light of the glorious gospel has taken root in your heart, as if it's been, if, if this, the word, the seed has been sown in a heart that has been transformed by grace, it will produce good fruit. And not only that, you'll want it to. You will want to be a better spouse. You will want to be a better grandmother. You will want to be a better worker. You will want to be a better uh, parent. You will desire that your, your life would demonstrate the things that you say you believe. You would want to be a better church and a better church member. And you want to say, like, I want that them to know, as Jesus said, they will know you by your love for one another. You want light to flow out of your life into this lost and dying world. You want that. You desire that. And I think that's what this parable is getting to. It's like we... We are getting to this place where we say, listen, there's light that comes, and it's designed to be on display. Again, not so you can much of your... When light changes, comes in to your life and flows out of your life, God gets the glory, not you. Verse 23, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Again, there's such an emphasis here on you know, how this comes about. It's through you listening. He says in verse 24, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Think about this real quick. Fruit bearing is in proportion to what you listen to. You need good seeds sown. You need sound doctrine sown in your heart. Healthy 
teaching. You need to say to yourself, watch out what you listen to. I remember training young people and uh, grounding them in solid biblical teaching and teaching them how to read the Word and study it and to think deeply about the things of God. And then they would go to a school that claimed to be Christian and these nutty professors would say things that were like questioning the foundations of the faith. I thought, what is that? You not only have to be careful. Listen, just because it's called Christian doesn't mean it's Christian. Just because it claims that doesn't mean that it is that. Be careful what you listen to. Be discerning. Because the, the, the level of fruitfulness, the level of light flowing out of you is directly tied to what is coming in. You are a conduit, a channel. Uh, uh, so you're always wanting to feed. That's why, that's why we try to work real hard at feeding you the truth. Not only that, you have to think in terms of like the way in which you receive good things. Another place when we're here. Like if somebody's throwing wood on the fire and you're kind of like, instead of saying like, bring that on, you're like just somewhere else. What good is that? What value will that bring? Like there's sometimes I think what there's so many false things out there. You have to not only identify what is false, but when you see something good, you need to be bringing it in. You want to say, God, like shovel it in. Somebody says something like, I'm not fed. I'm not. The question is, what are you doing to be one who is fed? What are you doing to get prepared for the, the Word to eat, to feast on the meal that is provided for you? You're not fed sometimes because you're not ready to be fed. That's a frightening place to be. You should hunger and thirst for righteousness. There are things that cultivate that in your heart. And we strive to do that here. Luke says, be careful how you listen to what is good. He says, take care then, Luke 8.18, how you hear. For to one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So don't listen to bad things. Listen to good things and then really Take them in. Prepare yourselves to hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is just calling us to be zealous. Now, I, I, I was, we were actually talking about this. I was just in the younger uh, men's kind of group for a minute uh, today. But there are three different places that you will see that kind of concept unfold. The first one, judge not lest you be judged. Another one is like with regard to giving. Be a generous giver and God will like return that. Third, here, give yourself to listening if you want to understand. You will reap what you sow in your spiritual life. 
You, you sow, you'll reap what you sow. If you're a lazy hearer, you will not get anything. This is an engaged, this is something we engage ourselves in. We strive to understand. So I would just say, we believe that God is working in us. We believe God has also called us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We teach both. We teach both. So we are to listen. And the lamp that is brought about by the saving grace of God will provide light and it must shine brightly and we participate in that. The second parable, I think, speaks of growth in the kingdom. So if you're thinking about the kingdom, I think we talked about this earlier. I can't remember. I read this somewhere. But broadly, when you think about the kingdom, it's God's rule, like Ryan was talking about earlier. God's rule over everything. It's God's world. Everything in it. Everything's God's. But in a narrow sense, when we think about the kingdom of God has come or is at hand, as the gospel writers would say or as Jesus would say, and they would write down, that is God's redemptive rule through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's something, so I think you've got to think about the kingdom in that way. You say, this is my Father's world. And yet in the redemptive reign of Christ, when we look at that unfold, we speak of the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter a seed on the ground. Now, what, what's the idea here? We've already kind of talked about that. We already had someone uh, scattering seed, and we talked about the heart. Here is just there's a scattering of the seed, but, it, but he's like, that's the only job he has to do. He goes out. It's like someone preaching. It's a mystery how God works in the heart, but the scattering is what he's called to do. And in one sense, you could say, was well, this just for the preacher? I, I don't think so. I think, I think it's, um, we, the Great Commission is for all people. That we are, if, if I go home tonight, forget, like, lay aside the preacher hat. And I sit down with my kids and, like, talk to them about the Word of God. I'm scattering seed. You know? If I go uh, and, and I meet with someone just regularly through my everyday life and I share with them, not as a preacher, but just as a Christian, I'm scattering seed. And I know that's what I'm called to do. Some people get so caught up, my goodness, this world is filled with people thinking about what everybody else should be doing and not doing the job that they have to do. you got enough to do when you think about just scattering the seed. You're, you're like Sometimes I think, honestly, it's the distraction for people to think about what everybody else is doing. That's why they're talking all the time about what's going on in the world. They're not doing their job. What are you assigned to do? Well, one of the things is we scatter seed. Scripture says in verse 21, or I'm sorry, verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. You got to think in terms of like, what if you thought it was all up to you? Could you imagine if you really believed that everything was up to you? how well you did. <laughs> that would be a frightening thing. The reality is, is none of us do this as well as we ought. But we're trusting God because the, God's the one that makes it come alive. God, God's Word is living and active and empowered by the Spirit. God changes hearts and lives. Not us. We can't do that. 
Our job is to go as best as we can and as a feeble attempt as possible to go and share on the heart. It's the seed that is cast, and then you have to trust God with it. One of the earliest verses that I learned, I guess, um, when I started really trying to memorize Scripture was Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but, the water, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I I, I send it, you know, for like what, what, I'm, what I'm doing with my word is my work. That's what God's saying. I, I'll do the work. I, I do the work with my seed. You're a scatterer of seed, but I do the work. And the worker goes and he lays down. And you think about it. God does what he wants to. His purposes always come to pass. That's why Paul said, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. It's God who does it. And we can trust him. Verse 28 and 29. The earth produces fruit by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle. Now, what's he talking about? Uh, one author I'd heard, like, he talks about, like, thinking about it in terms of Christian growth. The seed goes, comes to the hearer. The hearer believes. And they're just made. And you think about it, maybe at your house you planted a seed before and saw the little blade come up. But then as you watch it, it grows. And when it's real early, you think, man, it is so small. It's so weak. It's, there's a part of it, so that's why we protect our children and our young people in the faith. We're watching out for them. Because we know that it's just, it seems so easily broken. But then over time, as it grows, it grows and it turns into, as you look here, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. So it's like, then the ear might be, um, the truth sets in in your life where you realize that you're not as sharp as you thought you were. You haven't fought sin off like you thought you had. You know, sometimes the guy in his 20s starts to come alive to the gospel and he knows everything immediately. I've read the Bible all the way through, really. I'm sure you understand it. I mean, convinced of it, you know. Then you meet with a guy who studied the Bible for 50 years and probably studied 30 or 40 hours every week for 50 years, and he looks at you and says, I haven't even, like, touched the surface. I'm like, well, then why is this little arrogant 20-year-old telling me he's, like, dove down into the depths? Because... He's foolish. That's why. Because he's lacked sense. Like sometimes you want to say, just keep your mouth for the next, keep your mouth shut for the next 20 years. You know, they let it flourish in you and grow in you. But the reality is, is God's slowly growing those things. He's developing you. He's moving things. And it seems like it, lasts, it takes a long time, but the reality is all we're doing is scattering the seed and trusting God to grow it. There's a lot of dangers and toils and snares and a lot of battles to fight. In a lot of ways, you think early on that you have to be strong in yourself. 
Then it grows into mature grain. And you meet those people, those humble people. And I, I think I mentioned a song to you not too long ago where the guy says, the fire not, might not be as bright, but it burns hotter. When, when the gospel takes root and it's growing in the heart, it's a, it's a miraculous thing. And it might not be as bright and flashy, but when it comes to bringing heat to those who are cold, for the heat there, and bless someone. There's a patience with those who are coming up and a clarity of thought. Titus 2, 2 through 2-3 says this, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. By the way, just to say that is to say not by world, the world standards of what is good. They're, they're to set the men and the older women to set an example of stability of faithfulness, of moderation, of a life lived to the glory of God, one who is standing fast. That's what, as you watch older men and older women in the faith, that's what should happen. We are trying to raise up people that are growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior over long periods of time, walking in faithfulness. And then the harvest comes. The harvest here perhaps is the saint going home, if you take it this way. God knows when he's done. Paul knew when the Lord was, it seemed to be coming to a close with him. He didn't know the exact day. But he said, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. It's time to harvest for harvest. God is going to take, he has, he has refined that person and used him. He spent and he takes him home. Third parable. So all the time we're listening. I want to listen. I want to listen to the right things. I want to listen well. I want to shine brightly. I want to understand and, and remind myself that growth in the kingdom is not me doing it. We scatter seed. God transforms hearts. He does it through process for long periods of time. When it's time and He's done, He will take you home. Third, when we think of the growth of the kingdom, that's kind of the third parable here. Remember, we said God's kingdom can see in a broader sense and a narrow sense. I think the focus here is on the narrow sense. Regularly during the Christmas season, in the first, we talk about the first coming of Christ, Advent season, we will speak of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and the name shall be called, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a reminder of the redemptive reign of Christ. Now, with his first coming, he inaugurates the kingdom. In his second coming, he consummates the kingdom. So in the inauguration in that first coming, we will see the kingdom come on earth and you will see transformation take place and you will see his victory and power over all the powers and over disease and death and sin. You'll see all of those things, but the fullness of that is yet to come. So it's almost like part one and part two of of the work of Christ. You think in the first and second coming. So then the question becomes, and I think this is probably what this parable would speak to, is what does it look like between the first and second coming? What does it look like? And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? Is It is like a grain of mustard seed. Now, when you think of that, we're still kind of dealing in the, with regard to seeds and seeds growing. Still kind of addressing those kind of things. There's a vital connection, you could say, between the Word of God and the kingdom of God. The way in which the kingdom grows. And so he says it's something small. It starts out small. Uh, we, we, kind of, we were proclaiming the, the reign of God. And so that seed is cast and it kind of starts out small. And you see, then it goes on and says, which when sown on the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. It's something little. And you think about even the kingdom, when you think about all the stuff going on with that, you think Jesus um, came here um, as a carpenter in a redneck part of Israel, you know. Those are small things. He was born in a barn, small, insignificant. The people that were told about it were shepherds. Nobody really thought much of them. It's very insignificant in that sense. It came small. The disciples were ordinary people. And not only that, they weren't very stellar. You know, when you think about them, you're like, woof. If I had a visit with them early on, I'd be like, man, this thing, it's not going to go well. You know, lots of small, insignificant things. Scripture. Um, but we say, you know, this scripture, this message, this work and person and work of Christ, all that was accomplished, even though it was small, God is going to do something that will shock the world. Even the message, that's not the way you would do this. You know, all those things make you think, you know, this is shocking. And the people of the kingdom, even past the disciples, are kind of questionable. But these little small things become great things. When God is blessing it. Verse 32. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches. So God is going to do this work of growing his kingdom. And although it may look small, and there may be even seasons where you think, whoo, that plant, that is not, it's sick. You know, you might look out there and think this is just, but the reality is God is growing it. And although it has small beginnings, it continues to grow so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So again, it's a blessing. It will be a blessing. Now, when you see that birds of the air can make nests in its shade, 
you might, if you're an astute reader, think in terms of the prophets. So you, you could look up Ezekiel, and he'll talk of this, but I'm going to read from Daniel, and I want you to hear. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. And its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and it, and it was good for all. The beast of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all, all flesh was fed from it. I think this is symbolic of God's kingdom, of God's kingdom coming, of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, of like that what was lost in the fall, where you know there, there was this cut off from the tree of life, you might say, and just the, the loss of, of the relationship between heaven and earth, uh, the loss of, of God's um, pr- relational presence with his people being lost. All of that, his brilliance, his glory, all those things where heaven and earth are united. When that was lost, there was like um, there was a great loss. But now he's speaking of a tree that would come, and I believe unite heaven and earth. Jesus inaugurated it. When you look at it, you say, "Well, I thought Jesus was just nailed to a tree, coming down into the ground and coming up again." Jesus is making something new. He is uniting heaven and earth. Christ's redemptive work is going to be not just the restoration of lost sinners, but the restoration of all things. That's something I think that we need to understand. That's why I think it's important for the church that both doctrine and deeds are important. We both share and scatter the seed, but we also live lives that would bring glory and honor to God because what's God doing in redeeming things? He's not just redeeming individuals, and He's not just redeeming the church. He's redeeming the whole earth. He is rescuing it. And we see that it is becoming a tree, that it's going to be a light not just to some people, Jewish people, but to the Gentile world. The whole world will be affected by this great advancement of God in restoring all things and making all things new. Verse 33 and 34 says, With such, many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. So God's gonna, Christ is going to explain it, and then he's going to explain it further with the disciples and help them see. So your life, you think about, I think, this parable. I think we would say, your life will provide light. If you have the life of God at work in you, the Spirit of God at work in you, the Word of God dwelling within you richly, it will provide light. And you want it to be greater and greater as you move forward. The second parable, I think we just say, growth in the kingdom of God may seem really small at first. And you may think you're doing really good as you mature, and then you may come to the realization that without God there is no hope for you. And then you're, as you mature and you're refined, one day the Lord will be say, say I'm, I'm done. It's time. I have, I have done the work I'm going to do with you and take you home. And then the third parable, God has something. He's, he's doing something bigger. He is bringing together heaven and earth. He is restoring not just individuals, but the whole of the earth. Heaven and earth will be united. 
And so as we think about those things, these things encourage us to continue to run the race, to finish, to strive together for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for wisdom to receive it, to believe it. I thank you this morning that you've been able to to open to us these things and to help us understand that you do that with your people and we praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen.